Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I am delighted to welcome you to the Wisdom from Above podcast, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. This wisdom from God can be found in the Bible, the only book that is inspired and authored by God. We're taking an in-depth look at the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. I have titled this episode of Wisdom from Above not simply The Two Witnesses, but rather The Two Extraordinary Witnesses. Our passage is the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. A Sunday school teacher posed a series of questions to the children in her class to see if they were clearly understanding the gospel. If I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church and to the poor, would that get me into heaven? No, the children said. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? No, the children answered. Well then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? Again, they all answered, no. Feeling quite good that the kids understood that eternal life was not by doing good works, but was a free gift that one gets by simply trusting in Jesus, the Sunday school teacher continued, Well then, how can I get into heaven? A five-year-old boy shouted out, You gotta be dead! (laughs) Well, he's got a point there, but that still fails to answer the question. Do you know the answer to that question? How can a person get into heaven? The Greeks had a saying, There went something like this. He who knows not, and knows not that he knows not, is a fool. Shun him. He who who knows not, and knows that he knows not, is a child. Teach him. He who knows, and knows that he knows, is wise. Follow him. Well, Jesus knows. He said in John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A ruler of the Jews went to Jesus at night to find out about getting into heaven. And Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. And Paul knows. A Philippian jailer asked Paul, What must I do and keep on doing in order to be saved? And Paul told the jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Nicodemus wouldn't have known if Jesus didn't tell him. The jailer wouldn't known if Paul hadn't told him. There's no way to know about Jesus if no one tells you. There has to be a witness. God always provides a witness. As the book of Romans spells out logically, how shall they believe in him if they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless someone tells them? So it's vitally important to have witnesses. Even after the church is raptured to heaven 
and the tribulation is taking place on the earth, God will provide witnesses. We studied earlier about the 144,000 witnesses that Jesus saves and seals to witness throughout the seven years of the tribulation. And now, here in Revelation chapter 11, Jesus tells John about two extraordinary witnesses. This chapter starts out by setting the stage for these two witnesses. There's the measuring of the temple in verse 1. John says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So there's to be some kind of evaluation, a measuring, an assessment. This can also have the idea of staking out a claim or a mark of ownership over the temple of God, over the altar, and over those who worship in the temple. Then there's the need for an identification of this temple of God. Let me just share briefly about the temples, the temple in Jerusalem in history and in prophecy. The first temple is Solomon's temple. Solomon was reigning around 1,000 years before Christ, and he built a glorious temple. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians around B.C. 586. The second temple, called Zerubbabel's temple, was built when they came back from the Babylonian captivity 70 years later, around 516 B.C. It was defiled by Antiochus Epiphanes of Syria in B.C. 165, Then it was rebuilt by Herod in B.C. 20 and 21. But it was destroyed by Titus and the Romans in A.D. 70. It's critical that we understand that the book of Revelation was written about A.D. 95. This temple the Herodian temple had already been destroyed in AD 70. Therefore, when John predicts things happening in the temple in Jerusalem, he has to be speaking of a later temple. Think about it. Jerusalem is the most holy city of the Jews. And the temple mount in Jerusalem is the most sacred site of Judaism. And yet the Jews did not have a temple there. A new temple will be built on the Temple Mount. Preparations are underway for this new temple. They've carefully reconstructed the furnishings for the new temple. They've trained Jews from the tribe of Levi for temple service. They've even acquired the needed red heifers from a ranch in Texas. They've hewn out a cornerstone. Many want to build this next temple right now, but due to pressure from other countries... The Temple Mount has been consigned to Islamic authority by the Israeli government. The Islamic authorities will not allow any Jews or Christians to worship on the Temple Mount. But there's going to be a third temple 
the tribulation temple. You see, the, the next temple to be built on the Temple Mount is a temple that will be built either shortly before the tribulation or early at the very beginning of the tribulation. This uh, third temple will be destroyed, well, excuse me, will be desiccated by the Antichrist. At this time, the Temple Mount has two Muslim holy sites on it, the Dome of the Rock and the Dome of the Spirits, known as the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The Dome of the Rock, which is believed by Muslims to be on the site where Muhammad ascended, is a prominent gold dome structure built around AD 690. It's a beautiful pilgrimage site that is the third most holy site of the Islamic faith. The Dome of the Spirits is a much smaller, less sacred site, slightly north of Dome of the Rock. Some Jews believe that the actual site of the original temple is in the open area where the small shrine, the Dome of the Spirits Mount, stands. If that's true, the fourth temple could be built without disturbing the Dome of the Rock. But no matter where it is built, the Muslims will take offense. The fourth temple, the Millennial Temple, will be constructed after Christ returns to the earth. And details for this temple are spelled out in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 46. Next, in verse 2, we see the measuring of time. It says, But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So Israel will be safely in the land, protected by a treaty with the Antichrist, worshiping in this fourth temple in this third temple in Jerusalem during the first half of the tribulation. Then Israel will be hiding in the hills, cut off from the temple, and Jerusalem will be trodden under the feet of the Gentiles during the last half of the tribulation. How long will this take place? 42 months. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. 42 months. Revelation 11, 2. 42 months with 30-day months is 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. One half of the tribulation period. Verses 3 through 6 tell about the ministry of these two extraordinary witnesses. Jesus says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These two witnesses have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls on in the days of their prophecy. And they have the power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So first of all, note again the time of the two witnesses. 
1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. It's important to note that although the time span is the same, different terms are used to describe it. Perhaps this is to emphasize that these are two different time periods. I believe the two witnesses will minister during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. For those first three and a half years, those first 42 months, those first 1,260 days, then the Antichrist will defile the temple and break his free treaty. Jerusalem will be trod underfoot for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Did you notice the description of the two witnesses? They will be clothed in sackcloth. I grew up on a farm in Ladora, Iowa. The feed and seed that we purchased for use on the farm came in three different kinds of sacks. Some came in triple-layered paper sacks. Some came in white cotton sacks that Mom would clean up and cut up and make into what we called tea towels. Others came in burlap, a, a rough brown stringy fabric made from jute or hemp. During the Old Testament days, individuals would wear burlap, often referred to as sackcloth, as a sign of mourning. And prophets would often wear burlap, referred to as sackcloth, as a sign of judgment. These two extraordinary witnesses in sackcloth are bringing about a message that should bring about mourning and will bring about judgment. They're described here in Revelation as two olive trees and two lampstands. Olive trees produce oil, which pictures the power of the Spirit. They're anointed ones, and they have supernatural power. Lampstands produce light for the purpose of witnessing, telling the truth, providing light in darkness. The truth is going to be given light by these two extraordinary witnesses. Notice the power of these two witnesses. They spit fire. They have power to kill enemies with fire. They stop rain, power to keep it from raining. They spoil water, power to turn it to blood. They smite the earth, power to cause plagues. What is the identification of these two witnesses? Well, one view is that it's Enoch and Elijah. The reasons for this is because neither of them died. They were both caught up to heaven. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. But the reason against that would be that none of the living believers raptured with the church will, be, will die. So that would open the door for many other possibilities of people who would live but never died. A second view is that it is Moses and Elijah. The reason for this view is because both of them had similar spiritual power and protection. Moses uh, turned water to blood, and through Moses there was a consuming fire of judgment. And Elijah called down fire from heaven, and through him there was a consuming fire of judgment. And both of them appeared at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is related to the second coming. But the reasons against it would be, how could they be killed if they have already died, if they have heavenly, heavenly, uh, they're a heavenly spirit. View three, 
is that it's two men like Moses and Elijah. Two men who come in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. The two olive trees, the two witnesses. According to Deuteronomy 18.15, Jesus would be a prophet like Moses. According to Malachi 4, 5, and 6, John the Baptist would be a witness like Elijah. So they're coming in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. The martyrdom of these two witnesses. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Notice the time of their martyrdom. It's when they finish their testimony. It's not until after the three and a half years are completed. They are invincible until God's will for their life is completed. And the cause of their murder is that this beast from the abyss kills them, murders them. This is the first of 36 references to beasts in Revelation, the term beast being Therion. And there are three beasts in Revelation that form an unholy trinity. The beast out of the abyss in 11.7, that is Satan. The beast out of the sea in chapter 13, verse 1, that is the Antichrist. And the beast out of the land in chapter 13, verse 11, that is the false prophet. So instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The unholy trinity. And Satan, the beast from the abyss, makes war against the two witnesses, overcomes the two witnesses, and murders the two witnesses at the middle of the tribulation. Notice the location of their murder. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Everything revealed in the book of Revelation is taken in its normal, natural sense. It's interpreted literally. But here, in this verse, Sodom and Egypt are to be understood spiritually. But please note, this passage literally tells them that the names of the city are to be understood spiritually. So it's still a literal interpretation. This again highlights the fact that God expects us to understand this book literally. The fact that he uses the word spiritually separates this phrase and this city, this city's names from our understanding of the other things in the book of Revelation. But it's a city where their Lord was crucified. So it's obviously a reference to Jerusalem. But spiritually called Sodom, Sodom emphasizes immorality. And we see this tide with Jerusalem in Ezekiel 16 and Isaiah 1. And spiritually, Jerusalem is called Egypt. Egypt emphasizes idolatry. 
And this is highlighted in Ezekiel 16 and Leviticus 18.3. Now notice the display of their murder in verse 9. Then those from the peoples, tribes, and tongues, and nations will see the dead bodies of the two extraordinary witnesses. Three and a half days. And they will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Because of the intense hatred and supreme resentment of these two witnesses, they refused to even bury their dead bodies, a sign of great disrespect. They treat them worse than criminals. Their dead bodies are viewed, we're told in this passage, by the entire world. Now, this seemed impossible to previous generations, but now, in today's world, events are shown live around the world every day through satellite and internet and wireless communication. So these two bodies will lie dead on the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And now notice verse 10. The celebration of their murder, or the celebration of their martyrdom. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets that tormented them tormented those who dwell on the earth. The term dwell means to abide or be at home. It's a reference to unbelievers, those who dwell on the earth, those who are abiding on the earth, those who are at home on the earth. For believers, this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers on earth, but unbelievers abide on this earth. And the unbelievers rejoice over the death of these two witnesses. They celebrate. They make merry. They share gifts. It's like an anti-Christmas celebration, celebrating death instead of life, trying to stop the sharing of God's message rather than supporting the sharing of God's message. And by the way, this is the only mention of rejoicing on the earth in all of the tribulation. The unbelievers are rejoicing because they've silenced God's two extraordinary witnesses. But they cannot destroy the truth that these two extraordinary witnesses proclaimed. And now we come to verses 11 to 13. The miraculous resurrection of the two witnesses. The resurrection in verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So God brings the breath of life to these two witnesses after three and a half days. He resurrects the two witnesses to life, and the people watching are terrified. Then we see the translation in verse 12. And these people hear a loud voice from heaven saying to these two witness, extraordinary witnesses, come up here. And the two extraordinary witnesses ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. Wow. God is not finished. First, he resurrects these two witnesses to life. Then, all those watching are suddenly changed from being happy to being terrified. And then God literally ushers these two witnesses up to heaven in a cloud right before the eyes of their enemies. What an awesome scene this is. 
a loud voice, a marvelous ascent, and a stunned audience. But God is still not finished. Look at verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So there, God, God causes an earthquake, and 10% of the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed by this earthquake. 7,000 people of Jerusalem will be killed by this earthquake, and the rest of the people will be terrified. They are greatly afraid. And then it says, they gave glory to the God of heaven. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what this means. Are they saved? Perhaps some turn to him. Hopefully so. It doesn't say. Are they in awe? Yes. Do they recognize that this is the power of God? Yes. Do they acknowledge God's power? Yes. They witness the power of God and they recognize it's the power of God and they give glory to God. Hopefully, many of them are saved. I want to close by sharing three truths. First, the importance of co-workers in the ministry of God. Jesus had his disciples and they even had disciples. Peter had Mark. Paul had Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And then Barnabas had John Mark. Apollos had Aquila and Priscilla. Are, are you linked up with some other believers in ministry in your church or outside your church? Do you have someone who's mentoring you? Are you mentoring someone? Are you partnering with some other believers to make a difference in our world? Do you encourage them and pray for them and challenge them in their spiritual walk? Do you partner with them? It's important to have co-workers in the ministry of God. Second, the invincibility of believers in the will of God. The man of God is indestructible until God's will for his life is finished. The safest place on earth is in the center of God's will. We must believe, like Esther, that God has placed us here for such a time as this. Are you trusting the Lord in these troubled times? And then last, the imperative of witnessing in the plan of God. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. For a believer to die is not a termination, it's a graduation. The believer's destiny is sealed and certain and celestial. But for an unbeliever to die is a tragedy. The unbeliever faces an eternity without hope, without life, and without God. What a heartache. What a loss. But while they are still alive, there's still a chance for them to turn to Christ and trust in Christ. So we must share the good news of God's love. We must share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus said to the twelve, You shall be witnesses for me. God has no other plan. God isn't dropping tracks from heaven. God isn't sending angels to share the good news. God is expecting us to get the word out. The Bible asks some very personal questions in Romans 10. 
How can people believe in Jesus if they've not heard him about him? How can they hear about Jesus if nobody tells them? There's a legend about the angels marveling at God's gift of his son and God's plan of salvation by grace through faith, and then asking, how is this message going to be shared with mankind? And Jesus says, I trained 12 men to share this message with others who will share it with others. And the angels say, but what if they don't do it? And Jesus says, I have no other plan. Well, that is a legend, but it's true that God has no other plan. God's plan is for you and me to share the gospel. We are his witnesses. We must share the good news. We must let people know that Jesus died in their place to pay for their sins. We must let people know that whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life. But whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned because he has not believed in Jesus. Are you actively seeking to reach out to co-workers and classmates? To waiters and waitresses? To checkers and baggers? To clients and customers? To family and friends who may not yet know the Lord? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you praying for daily? It's imperative that we share the good news. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Wisdom from Above. Thank you for making these podcasts a part of your weekly routine. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. I look forward to meeting with you again next week as we continue our study of the book of Revelation. Until then, I wish you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you so much for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.